Hi there, my name is John, and I'm in the campus ministry of the Guam ICC, and I also take care of this podcast. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode. The service we use to make podcasts is called Anchor. It's really simple to use and navigate. You can record, add sound effects and transitions, monetize your podcast, and post your podcast to other providers, such as Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. The best part is, is that it's all free to use. Anchor is such an amazing way to start a podcast for any reason, so give it a try. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and let's get right into it. Man, good morning again, and a happy Mother's Day to everybody. Come on, Bryson. Today's sermon will have uh, mother themes throughout all the points. I hope you can pick them all out. Uh, the title of the lesson I'll get to in a second. But let's turn our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Right here, Paul, he speaks to the church in Thessalonica, and he describes exactly how he ministered to the disciples. Verse 5, he says, You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember our brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with you as each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. See, Paul right here, he understood a couple things. First, he understood that as an apostle, he had been given authority from Jesus, right? He wanted them to understand that, hey, I had the authority to tell you to do whatever I asked you because I am an apostle. I walk with Jesus. And then he points out to the church that instead of doing that, instead of asserting authority, he says, we cared for you. He says, like a nursing mother, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You know, we understand that a mother's love is special. That's why we celebrate it. Because we recognize that all mothers out there are deserving of special honor because we know that a mother will do just about anything for her child. And like Paul says here, it's not not out of obligation. It's not because you have to, but he says we're delighted to do all these things. It is our delight to give you our life. It is delight to share with you everything that we have. And as a true mother, a true mother is delighted to do these things, is she not? But right here, he reminds the church in detail. He says, surely you remember our toil and our hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. 
You know, he really wanted the church to understand that he cared for them. Why? Well, it's because people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? And Paul, he, he knew a lot more than any of them. He knew his Bible better than them. He came from a fine family. He was an apostle. He uh, knew many languages. He was, he was one of the most educated men of his generation. But you don't see him using those things to win their hearts. Why? Because he can't. He can't use knowledge to win someone's heart because we really don't care what you know. We want to know how much you care. Amen? Right. He says, I cared for you as a mother. I dealt with you as a father. You see the contrast there? We accept both as love. But I think Paul points this out not only to win the hearts again of the Thessalonian church who had obviously gone astray right here, but it was also to set an example for them. Because this is the kind of love that it takes to be a great disciple. The love and care of a mother and the dealings of a father. You know, he doesn't say it's the love of your, like your boss or your coworkers. He doesn't say, I love you like a, your friends. I love you with the true love of a mother and a father. And I think that together, we can really find out what Paul wanted for his disciples is the same thing that any parent would want for their children, to watch them grow and to become mature. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Come on, Bryson. In Colossians 1 verse 24, Paul again speaks to a, a different church of disciples, and he says, Now I rejoice of what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you <clears throat> the word of God in fullness. In the 84 version, it says, to present you mature. Look at verse 20, it says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Amen. To this end, I strainly seek contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. See, as disciples, you're either one of two categories here. You're either mature in Christ or you're not. Yeah. Amen? And, uh, you know, Paul says, hey, I suffer in my flesh. I rejoice and I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ gives me for this reason, that you may become mature in Christ. Now tell me that's not important right there. Yeah. It makes you think kind of, you know, what's the point of having all these meetings and putting all this effort and, yeah. you know, spending all this money and all your time if you don't grow? If you don't get anything out of it, what, like, what good was it? Yeah. It would have totally been a waste. But Paul, Paul teaches here, this is what I'm working towards, in case you were wondering. It's not so I can get money. It's not so I can feel great about myself. It's so that you can become mature. And hey, it takes these things. It takes admonishment, which is correction teaching. It takes teaching. It takes all wisdom. It takes the care of a mother. It takes the dealings of a father. It takes all the energy. He says, I strenuously contend. I don't know if when, when the last time you strenuously contend, but that means that you're reaching your limits right there. And so for us to become mature, we must push beyond our limits. Amen. Is that not what it takes to grow mature? Yep. Yet sadly, and this is going to be a first point here, time and effort on someone else's part 
does not make you mature. Yeah. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. You see, Paul, he strained and he labored, but ultimately it was not up to him whether or not you matured. You can have the greatest parents, you can have the greatest teachers, but they're not responsible for your maturity. Judas had Jesus as his teacher. Jesus, Judas, along with thousands of other people who saw Jesus and spoke with Jesus and saw a miracle, they all fell away. Was it Jesus' fault? Absolutely not. And yet we like to blame our teachers. We like to blame our leaders. We like to make excuses that it's not our fault when it is. And I think we could easily fail to understand that you are responsible for your own maturity. And just because you've been around longer does not make you mature. And so I pray that for us future mothers and fathers, and if you are a mother and father, you could come to terms with the fact that you are not directly responsible for the maturity of your child. They are. When you make disciples, you are not responsible for their maturity. They are. And so we read in Hebrews 5, verse 11. Now, no one knows who wrote Hebrews. I believe Paul wrote it. He'd be the most qualified. But he says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear because you no longer try to understand. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Right here he says, by this time you ought to be teachers. And so time is involved when it comes to maturity. He says, you ought to be by this time. And also a sign of maturity is that you are able to teach. If you can't teach, you're not mature. And yet, like Paul says, he, he points out to the disciples that, hey, much time has passed, and yet you're still not ready. You still need milk, not solid food. So what causes this? Well, if you look in verse 13, he says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You see, what makes disciples mature is their constant use of the scriptures. They've decided to constantly live by the book, so to speak, and it trained them to distinguish good from evil. You know, the reason why we lack maturity in the church is because we say we believe in the Bible, but we're not actually living by the Bible. Doing things as simple as speaking the truth to each other. For us women, you know, having to control over our emotions. For men, making better decisions. In a lot of cases, the women serve more than the men. And that just doesn't fly in the church, maybe in the world, that's fine. But in the church, men of God are the servants and they lead by example. And yet, because we say we believe in the Bible, but we don't actually live by the Bible, at times, we lack maturity. Now, we live a life where we feel, we really feel exempt from training like the rest because from either pride, I know better, or I am better, or arrogance, I know better. But from what Paul, or the writer says here, he says, hey, if you're not training, you definitely are not any better, and you definitely don't know any better because maturity comes through practice. Are you with me here? Yep. 
But I think also we're taught one more thing. We're taught that we're invested in. People will put their money, their time, their heart. People will sacrifice for you. And if you think about it, what, will, what would, would we be saying to our mothers that raised us, their effort if we did not grow? You know what I mean? On average, every uh, U.S. child is invested estimated quarter million dollars to raise them in the United States. And that's, that's, that's a lot of money, would you say? Yeah. I mean, does anyone have that lying around? No. <laughs> if you have, you've been holding out and you gotta repent. <laughs> um, but much more than that, Jesus' blood. Jesus' was, was, was a sacrifice for you, and not just what would be saying to our mothers, what, what would we be saying to God if we don't change? Yeah. Your sacrifice is not worth my change. Now, would anyone say that to their mother today on Mother's Day? Then why would we say that to God through our actions? But on the same coin, how much more would it honor God if we devoted ourselves to becoming mature every day? I think what we got to do is just simple. It's you can't wait for maturity to find you. It never will. Instead, you must not make excuses and you gotta go after it. That means you gotta stop playing video games. You gotta get off YouTube. Disconnect if you have to. You have to stop making excuses. You have to stop hiding away. You have to stop not caring. You have to stop whatever it is you're doing and you gotta say goodbye to that. Because for you to live a new life, you must put to death your old life. Putting to death your old lifestyle is the only way to start a new one. Amen. And so let's not take the time God has given us for granted because years from now, and dare I say moments from now, what you will become depends on your decision to train every day. So let's honor God with what's been invested. Amen? Amen. Well, there's a second point we have, and if you decide to go after maturity, you're going to need perseverance. Point two, perseverance. Okay. Go to Romans 5. Come on, Bryson. Romans 5, 3, Paul, again speaking to a different church. Amen. To the church in Rome. Probably made up of disciples that are totally uh, disconnected from because they're so far away, you know, they live in a totally different world. But Romans 5.3 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We'll stop there. You know, the first thing he mentions here, he says, Hey, our suffering is our glory. Because we know that when we persevere, it builds our character. Yeah. You know, and you know, the word persevere, I, I don't think really would be here if it wasn't difficult, right? Okay. You're gonna be put in situations that you are not prepared for. You're gonna be put in situations that you do not like. Yeah. And what are we supposed to do when those times come? Persevere. The definition of perseverance is to continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty, or with little to no prospect of success. 
And so, are you quick to quit when things get hard? For me, probably the hardest time in my life was yesterday. Uh, I was having a talk with Jay, and I was talking about something that's really relatively small. But in my mind, it was like a really big thing. And then, uh, you know, I just hear my wife crying, coming from the bathroom, and uh, weeping and saying, honey, like, I'm bleeding. And uh, just a look on her face, and I was just not prepared for it. I didn't feel like I was doing well. Um, I'll get into that later. But I remember sitting down and saying, I got to eat something. So I, I ate some rice, and I was thinking, like, you know, within five to ten minutes what we should do. And so I just messaged my disciple. I said, bro, SOS, this is happening. I don't know what to do. And he was, he was super awesome. He says, bro, get in the car right now and leave. Call ahead, go to the doctor, and just, just go right now. And so um, I said, thank you. And, you know, I, I just remember sitting down, and I told Jazzy, he says, I'm not ready for this. I don't know what to do for this. And, and so I said, uh, I don't know what to do, but we're going to we got to do something. So we went. I messaged all of you guys. I messaged the Paredes, asked for prayers. And then we went there, and, you know, um, turns out everything was, you know, I, I wept when she went in. Uh, I was trying to talk to Richie on the phone, and he said, how are you feeling? And I just couldn't. I couldn't say anything. And so I texted him later when I was feeling less emotional. You know, but my temptation was to blame myself for the things that I failed to do. And you know, you don't really know where you're at until you fail. Until you there's something that really costs you greatly. It, when when things when there's no high stakes, then you you will not change. And so during this time, what comforted me was remembering that even though I might not be ready, even though I might not have the strength for it, even though this might not seem good, I can always persevere. And there's no shame in perseverance. The shame is when you give up. You know, we could say a person is struggling or that person is hopeless, but the truth is that we all go through it. And so what are you struggling with? You know, when... When people say that, oh, my church is doing great, I'm concerned because you're either lying or you are, uh, you're just totally deceived. As if everything was going awesome. As if you don't need to persevere. I'm happy as long as we're going through stuff. You know what I mean? Amen. The moment we don't think we're going through anything is the moment where we have spiritually died as a church. You know, my generation has been called a generation without character. And to some degree, it's true because we have it easier than any generation before us. We have a greater lack of hardship, and which produces a lack of character. Because you just can't grow without going through stuff, you know what I mean? Now, some of us have been blessed with going through a lot of stuff, right, even though we're young. But your maturity is locked into what you decide to and not to persevere through. And with our... Uh, Age, with the pressure in some cases not to become true adults until 25 to 30 years old. Sometimes 40 years old, you're still living with your parents. Uh, because you can go to school and not work until that age. And that's, that's only seen in this country or th this first world age. Uh, the world has never been like this before. We are at a significant disadvantage when it comes to maturity. 
And I just dare to say that we, we're all affected by it. Whether, whether it's you, whether it's not you, you're affected by it. And for me personally, I think from the humility that God has granted me, I, I'm reminded every day of how juvenile I am. I don't know about you. And I think, you know, you just take that into account, and then you take into account our biblical lack of maturity, where we don't know our Bibles. You know, we're, we're totally foreign to this idea of discipleship because we live in a pagan world. Uh, and then we become disciples, and we just don't know our left from our right spiritually. We're at a huge disadvantage, and yet that's not the point that we're disadvantaged. It's we give up way too early. Yeah. When, when do you give up? Is the answer never? If it's not, then you give up way too much. And someone say, hey, that's unrealistic. You can't never give up. Well, I think we should be reminded about what not giving up means. Not giving up does not mean that you will not fail. It doesn't mean that you'll know what you're doing. Definitely doesn't mean you're going to feel good. Not giving up means not giving up. And so what if you just never gave up? You know, sometimes we like to say that in 1 Corinthians 10 that God will never give us more than we can handle. But that's just not true. It says he will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. Not give you more than you can handle. God gives you more than you can handle, for sure. It's kind of like, that's, that's kind of uh, not very mindful to think that we can handle everything. And we can't. But he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So that means that you can... Go through whatever you go through and not sin. Are you with me here? Amen. But things will be too, very difficult. And so I think one thing that we have to change our minds on is we can't be afraid to put weight on somebody. You know what I mean? We can't be afraid to make things difficult for them. Great mothers are not afraid to make things difficult for their children. Are you with me here? Amen. They don't do everything for their kids because it's not about you having the victory. It's about you failing, persevering, and learning. I will give you more than you can handle. And I'll be fired up about it. But the question is, what are you going to do when you're given too much? You know, um, you know, sometimes we feel sort of like, man, if, if, uh, if the challenge is too hard and I fail at it, you know, I don't want to go through that. But we've got to understand that's the very thing that you must go through if you want to grow. You know, a person who's always growing is a person who never gives up. A person that isn't growing simply is someone who does. All hardship exists to build our character. And the neat thing is that after you've persevered, you could look back and you could see, what did I do wrong? You know, for me, what I need to change is uh, really my desire to speak the truth. I, I, I rather, I'd rather be at peace with all of you then speak the truth in my flesh. And I find that what this does to me is I harbor things in my heart that becomes bitterness. You know what I mean? When you're not open about what you think, no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, whether it's important, whether it's not, if you hold on to it, you will be bitter. It's going to poison you. And so in love, the Bible says that we got to speak the truth to each other, meaning that we, we should feel free to say anything to anybody. And not make assumptions about, hey, this person thinks this way, this person thinks that way. Because once you start thinking that way, you're going to become bitter. And uh, it's going to really not go well for you. And so that's my tendency, but I'm working on it. I see it. And, you know, 
you know, you could get tempted to feel like, man, like I've, I've done this for so long. You know, it feels like the life was such a waste. It was not a waste. That whole time you spent going through whatever it is that you went through was 100% necessary from God so that you may change. All we have to remember is if we just do not give up, we will become mature. With me here? Our final point, or is that the point? Yeah, it is the final point. Okay. Sorrow is necessary. Amen. Go to 2 Corinthians 7. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 7, verse 8. Paul writes again to a different church, this time to the Corinthian church, which was the most sinful church in the Bible. <laughs> uh, he says... He says, even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. And we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. That leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you've proved yourselves innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on the account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you really are. By all this we are encouraged. So Paul here in his humility admits that some of his writings really hurt some people. Are you with me here? You read some of the, you know, some of the letters and say, wow, like, I don't want to be on the receiving end of that letter. But he says here is like, you know, even though it made you sorry, I don't regret it. I feel bad that it made you sorrowful because I don't want you to be in pain just like any human being. I have compassion. But because he corrected them on their sin, they became broken. Are you with me here? Yeah. But he is... Happy because it says that that brokenness led you to repentance. I think we've got to understand that if somebody is sad, that is an awesome thing. As backwards as that sounds. Because then and only then do they have the chance to change. You have to be sorrowful if you want to change. It's just a fact. If you're not sorry, you will not change. Uh, I'm going to read a few scriptures here. Okay. We have time to go to them. Let's go to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 13. It says, A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. Okay, keep that in mind. Happy face, heart is cheerful, heartache crushes your spirit. Okay, now go to Ecclesiastes 7.
in verse 3. It says, Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad heart, a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed than to rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. You know, it's interesting what the Bible says. It says that your, your face is cheerful when your heart is happy. But when your soul is crushed, you have heartache. Are with me there? Right here it says that frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the high, wise is in the house of mourning. Isn't that interesting? So for you to change, your spirit must first be crushed. And if you're wise, you will understand this. And you're going to, in fact, go after having a broken heart. But if you go after the opposite, which is to find comfort or to find uh, the song of fools and to, you know, just forget your feelings, you will not be able to grow and be mature. You know, I think often when we see someone sorrowful, like when I see my wife upset, she can get very emotional. Like my first temptation is I want to pull you out of that. I want to make it all better. I want to come to your rescue. But we shouldn't do that. That's not the right thing to do. Don't try to pull people out of sorrow because life is not all about feeling good. People look at us, they think we're crazy, right? Because we don't need medication. We don't need distraction. We understand that the medicine for our heart is for us to be sorrowful. And we take it willingly. But like the world, I think we can get a worldly mindset where instead of focusing on our sorrows and learning from it and, and taking it, we want to be distracted from it. You know what I mean? And what do we use to distract ourselves from our sorrows? Sin. Why? It's because sorrow is uncomfortable and we want comfort. So the quickest way to comfort is sin. Yeah. You eat a cheeseburger, you, you, know, you get angry, you, you, know, you do whatever it is that you do. Drink coffee, have a drink, I don't know. Whatever it is that you do. You do that because you want comfort over growth. But we gotta, we gotta, learn, that, we gotta learn that God does things for our benefit and sorrowful is just a part of life. Are you with me here? It's necessary. It's totally normal. It's totally okay. We've got to see past emotions and look at what it produces. He says it produces earnestness, yeah. eagerness to clear yourself. It produces indignation. It produces alarm, longing, concern, readiness to see justice done. Now, I think if God were to choose between these things and making you feel good, I think he'd choose these things. I think he'd choose to make you feel sad. So when's the last time you were sorrowful about your life? Really? When's the last time you cried over your sins? Because if we're not truly sorry, then we will truly not change. With me here? And, 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 and the world has it all wrong. I think the world is all about success. It's all about constant joy. It's about always getting, getting a kick, getting entertained from your phone, from from the media, from eating good food. It's like all good vibes, and that's sort of what this island's about as well. But we have, we have to understand that's a false doctrine. That is not true. That is not the key to happiness. We don't endorse that. We don't believe in that. We believe in you 
grow sorrowful from your sins and you repent. And when we're sorrowful and weak, we're there to encourage each other. Amen. But we're not trying to pull the blade out of somebody that God is just stuck. Are you with me here? Because it's for their good. Now you got You have to watch out because he mentions another type of sorrow. He says worldly sorrow. So you got to be careful. There's a godly sorrow and there's a worldly sorrow. There's a real sorrow and there's a fake sorrow. And I think worldly sorrow can be explained simply through a song by Rihanna called Take a Bow. So the, the lyrics, I'm sure we all know the lyrics. It says, uh, uh, I don't want to sing it, but it's okay. <clears throat> the lyrics go like this. It says, uh, how about a round of applause? Yeah, a standing ovation. Don't tell me you're sorry because you're not. Baby, when I know you're only sorry you got caught. But you put on quite a show. You really had me going. But now it's time to go. The curtain's finally closing. That was quite a show. Very entertaining. But now it's over. Now. Go on and take a bow. Get, grab your clothes. Get on and get out. So listen to the song. I like the song. But we've got to understand that real sorrow produces change. Worldly sorrow produces a show. We're not sorry because we really want to change. We're sorry because bad things are happening to us. And we don't want to change. We just want comfort. And so we have to have a distinction here. It's, it's, it's good to be sorrowful, but you have to make a decision to change. Otherwise, that just wasn't godly sorrow. That was worldly sorrow. So ask yourself, how much of the sorrow you have is worldly and how much of it is godly? Be sorrowful, be soft-hearted, and just know that that's necessary and that's nothing to be ashamed of. It's what you need to make a change. Amen? Let's close out in 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, he says simply, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see truly face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. So there's only three things that really matter. Your faith, yeah. your hope, and your love. Amen. But prioritize love. Amen? Amen. You know, for us, it's, we're, we're all mostly quite young. And that's okay. We're disadvantaged, that's okay. But what's not okay is if we stay children. You know what I mean? We have to make a decision to leave our childish ways behind us because uh, we need to grow. And, you know, some people will say, hey, what's the rush? Well, the rush is people are dying every single day. And it's not something that we grow into, it's something that we run to. So uh, rate yourself on a scale from 1 to 10, how mature are you? 10 being you could lead the nations, you could change the world. If we're all 10s, like, we're done here. We're going to, it's going to happen. One is, you know, not mature at all. But this Mother's Day, just make a decision to honor your mother, honor your God, 
and make a decision to become mature because that's really what God wants. Amen? Happy Mother's Day.